Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Dualistic Unity. I am Andrew. And I am playing the necessary counterpart, Ray. I am, I am hardly convinced that I am Andrew this week. That identity has been melting away, and we were just chatting for a while, getting into just the role identity plays directly with all of our fears, anxieties, worries, and suffering. And I was talking about how just as the weeks go by and, and my idea of myself, my identity begins to get questioned more and more. And it almost feels like it's, it's melting away, melting into the doing and the being at which I am doing here now, at which I am here now. As that happens, as that identity begins to melt away, so do my fears and worries and anxieties and sufferings. And as my idea of myself starts to get built back up in certain situations, those fears, worries, anxieties come with it. As I remember, it's identity. That's all it is. That is the root. As I remember that begins to melt away. As I pull that root, I rip the root of that weed out of the ground. All of that suffering, anxiety, fear begins to fall away as well. And identity is the root. And I think that is something I would love to talk about a lot on this episode because it hit me like a ton of fucking bricks this weekend and I have not been able to get over it. And it's really cool. <laughs> well, and it, it changes the game, right? And it, it changes the trap, or at least that's how I tend to look at it, right? Because when we tend to be dwelling on our doubt, our fear and everything else, we tend to look for a resolution to the doubt and the fear. And so we get caught thinking about our thought and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But what I've done over the years is just go, I'm thinking about myself again and stop right then and there. And it, it just gives me a moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, that identity, that, that illusion no longer makes sense, but that's really what it is. It's, it's the, la the loss of clarity. We'll get tense. We'll get stressed. We'll get afraid. And in that moment, we'll, we'll, we'll drop our energy. And in that, in that, we'll try and buoy our energy up by holding on to a fiction of ourselves. Somebody was asking me about this recently. And uh, I was saying that every once in a while, I'll reach for the fiction of God out of habit. And it's because I, I was raised Catholic. I was raised with the idea of God. And, and I know as soon as I, I'm, I'm stressed, as soon as I'm starting to worry about the future, I'm thinking too much about what's to come and things like that. I'll start talking to this invisible entity that's that's ultimately just it's still self-dialogue, but it's almost like I'm projecting the idea that reality is listening to me and somehow guiding me along. And it's very comforting. But what it does do is take me out of out of the state of mind where I can actually do more with my life, where the state of mind where I can see things clearly because I'm not being responsible. Right. So it always just comes back to I'm thinking about an illusion again. And in that we see other options. Certainly. Yeah. I feel that almost it reminded me of when with my old morning routine, I used to go through like gratitude affirmations even. And that idea of, you know, like you mentioned, praying to God or, you know, reality, just projecting what you're saying or being grateful for things that only reinforce your fucking identity. And anytime you're reinforcing your identity, you are reinforcing that root in the ground that is the root of all of your fears, worries, and suffering. So it blows my mind that it's like, this includes 
gratitude, this thing. And you said, you said it in past episodes and it hit me. Like I didn't understand at the time, like I kind of did. And I understood how that sort of process isn't necessary, but I didn't understand the idea that it reinforced the identity, which is the root of all of that fear and suffering. Without you, I made an Instagram story about this today. I asked, have you ever had a fear, worry, anxious feeling, anxious thought that had something to do with anything outside of the idea of you? And I've gotten about, I don't know, 10 or 15 responses. And a lot of them are, no, no, that's a good point. No, actually I haven't. There were a few people one, uh, one that I wanted to mention was uh, someone said climate change. And I, th I thought to myself, like, on the surface, it seems like it doesn't have to do with you. But at the same time, it still kind of does, even if it's not the idea of you directly, it's still the idea of, you know, your offspring or your children, like having a good world for your great great grandchildren, something like that still comes back to, to you. And someone else said, other people suffering in the world. And to me, I've said this before, but I think, you know, that comes back to how you feel. It doesn't make you feel good that there are other people suffering. So even though it's not a bad thing at all, it's not selfish at all to help people who are suffering, it still comes back to the fiction of you. It has to, right? Because that's, that's the core of our life, right? Anybody who says my life is not all about me is, is lying to themselves, right? Because it has to be, it has to be. And if it's not, then there's, there's a consequence to that too. When you start living for other people, when you start living for the fiction of other people, and you're not honest to, with yourself about the fact that you're doing that for your own interests, right? Because we can say, well, I care about other people. It's like, right, because that makes you feel good about yourself, right? So there is, there's still that selfishness there and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that so long as you continue that into realizing everybody else is you, in which case you're always taking care of yourself. So you're always taking care of everybody else, right? But yeah, it, it's, um, it's just a matter of perspective, right? It's just a matter of getting out of the way. And I find it interesting what you were saying there about it reinforces the illusion of I. Opinion is by far the biggest danger and, and it's something I've wrestled with for years. Um, it's so easy to have an opinion about every experience that we have, but opinion reinforces our identity. If we take it too seriously, like you can have an opinion and be willing to challenge it, be willing to question it, even willing to, to ignore it completely and try something new, or you can hold on to it and then it just keeps painting you into a corner, right? But I think this, as soon as you've got that I in there, right? You're, you're putting yourself in a box. And as soon as you put yourself in a box, you're closing doors and limiting possibilities again. So yeah, that's why it's so important to just keep questioning yourself, questioning yourself, try things more than once because you're a different person each time. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a few friends that come to mind that are incredibly stubborn people and they have certain opinions that are basically their personality. It comes down to that and they will not no matter what kind of argument, what kind of facts you throw at them, they will just refuse to believe it. Not even one of my friends, my friend who's like a big Bitcoin maxi, Bitcoin maximalist, doesn't have any any other crypto besides Bitcoin, almost doesn't even have any other investments than Bitcoin. But I put on my story, uh, it was a Q&A and someone asked, 
uh, I'm new to crypto. What would you recommend? And I said, like, buy some Bitcoin, because quite frankly, nobody knows what coins are going to be around in, you know, 10, 5, 10, 15 years. But odds are Bitcoin likely will be. Of all of them, the highest likelihood is probably Bitcoin. And he, my friend responded to my story and he was like, when did you become so bearish? Like, what do you mean if you think it, there's a chance it could be gone in 10 to 15 years? Bitcoin's going to outlive all of us and all of our generations for you know, 10 of our generations at least. And I was like, yo, yo, pump the brakes, man. Like I am very bullish on Bitcoin, but you aren't five to 10 years in the future right now. Like there isn't a 100% chance. There's still a chance that it isn't. It's very small, I think, but there's still a chance. Like, and it was, it was so funny, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how much some people identify with certain opinions and, and it can be kind of funny, but at the same time, it can be very dangerous because you have something that you always, 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 always have to defend no matter what. And I can't imagine how exhausting that must be. It's exhausting. I mean, just, just even, even just that where it's like, you know, Bitcoin could fail one day. What, what do you mean? And it's like, I I have to, I have to convince myself and more importantly, I have to convince you that that's not going to happen. Right, because otherwise now I'm I'm victim to uncertainty and doubt again, and I I can't have that, and, and so it's it's really it, it can become its own religion, like anything else, right? Because that's all certainty is. I mean, at the end of the day, we we come up with fictions that make us feel a little bit better, and then we hold on to them long enough. We teach them to the people around us, and poof, you have a religion, right? And and it's just it's just a coping mechanism. It's like we, I was saying this to my wife the other day. It, it's like we have this this collective trauma, and we keep. grabbing for this life preserver that's faulty right we keep holding on to our identity of our our identity and our idea of ourself to try and keep us buoyed but it keeps failing us and so instead of just learning to swim instead of just learning to live in that uncertainty to to have faith in ourselves to go with the flow as it were as opposed to fighting the water as alan watts said right we keep just resorting back to this this old tool that was taught to our parents and our parents parents and and dominated the world for the longest time, which was egotism. The idea that your idea of yourself is the measure of your value and worth. And that, that in itself is the core of our problems. So you're right. It's, it's the absolute uh, reason that we have so much division. Because if I didn't hold on to my idea of myself so tightly, I wouldn't have any reason to really judge you or to fear you. Because you were just another opportunity to learn more about myself. Yeah, certainly. And I've been posting since that whole idea hit me that, you know, beliefs reinforce identity, which is more or less the root of most, if not all of your fear, worry, anxiety, suffering. That's why I've been posting about it, trying to get other people's opinions to see, like, do people have fears that don't have to do with me, their idea of themselves? And I have some people close to me who, are still very much not happy about my Sky Daddy posts. And it was a little bit of an annoying time dealing with that because they will send me messages about how concerned they are with me and how they know I'm just trying to help people, but they feel like my message is aggressive and comes across as angry 
And my response after many back and forths was, I would like for you to watch my videos. For me, first of all, my opinion, I'm not angry when I'm posting these. I actually think they're kind of funny and I'm trying to be kind of humorous with them. They may come across as aggressive and angry if you strongly identify with the beliefs that you have that I'm questioning. I think that's more so where it's coming from. So that being said, I would like for you to rewatch my videos and pretend for a second that you don't believe in God. And you may actually find them to be a little bit funny. And I am trying to explain how there's a bigger picture to all of this. And with my posts, like they make a lot of people very uncomfortable, as you can see, if you go through the comment sections, but part of it is promoting a way of living beyond belief. And it's not like I'm just saying, you know, it's silly to believe in Sky Daddy. Like I'm saying that. And then, you know, we have this podcast and Patreon and all of these resources and workshops with, you know, probably getting close to hundreds of hours of content for people to go to when they realize that belief isn't soothing them to the degree that they had hoped. And there is another way to live their lives that we are discussing every single fucking week. So, there's a way. So part of it is a promotion. And every time I make a video like that, I'm like, if you were intrigued at all by this, I have a podcast. It's called Dualistic Unity. I think you'd really enjoy it. And that's it. So like, I always get messages from people like, hey, this isn't, you know, it's not nice. It's not, you know, it's, it's aggressive. You seem very angry. And I keep having to reinforce them. Like, I am more at peace than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. Like, why don't you believe me when I say that? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, and I find it interesting because you're giving them, or rather the video that you've made and their response is all the evidence they really need as to what the danger is behind their belief. Like the whole reason that they're getting defensive is the conflict that goes with their identity and their belief. If they didn't identify, if they didn't need that certainty, if they didn't hold on to that fiction so hard, they wouldn't be so defensive. They wouldn't feel so offended or attacked because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have such thin skin, right? So they're actually in the middle of, of what could be the moment that they decide to walk away from their prison and they just choose their prison, right? And that, that's the point is that if they can just see that, which is what I often say, like, you're upset because of what we're saying. What, what we're talking about here is the reason that you're upset. Not, not what I'm saying, but the way you see it. That's it. And that's because of what you hold on to. You don't have to do that. You can repent. You can, you know, follow God, as it were. You can let go of all of that. But they don't even see what they're doing right? The, it's like when somebody's like, oh, well, that's a belief. And that's all they ever say to you. It's, oh, that's a belief. Oh, you believe that there's nothing to believe. That's still a belief and blah, blah, blah. And it's because that's all they know how to see. That's all they can do that to them. Everything is a belief. If you don't believe something, there's nothing, right? All there is, is that action that reinforces I, right? And that's the point that becomes our whole world. I and the fiction around it. And as long as we're in that, we can't see the world. We can't see each other. We can't see what is. We can't have a connection to God or anything else. We lack ears to hear. 
right? And so in letting go of that idea of I, or at least questioning it, not holding on to it so tightly, because admittedly, like, I like Ray. I like this character. I really enjoyed you know, the experience of this character. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I take it so seriously that I start measuring Ray's value according to my assumptions of other people, there's, there's a danger there, right? And it changes how I interact with those people. It changes my relationships with those people. You were saying how life feels more effortless when you're out of the way. Well, as you practice that, you start to talk to other people in that state. You start to realize that every conversation is very much a dance between you and everybody else. And the less you're thinking about yourself, the more you're, you have sensitivity to that dance, the more you can do with that conversation. And so when I see like um, a murmuration, a, flo a flock of birds in perfect formation, just doing a snap turn, my immediate thought is, how little are they thinking about themselves? Because they're in perfect flow together. Right. And that that to me, that's the entire point of this. It's not about talking to God. It's about being in alignment to actually feel the flow with one another and to and to mold that flow together as a part of it. That's what all of this is supposed to be about. It's not about belief and just feeling better. It's such a shame to settle for that. Yeah, it is such a shame. And that idea of flow was something that I really kind of dove into on Saturday when, and I, ha I haven't mentioned this yet, but I took um, five grams of mushrooms on Saturday and it was, yeah, it was quite the trip. And that morning, Saturday morning, I sent you that video, the Ted talk of um, Adam Grant talking about flow and how it's like, there's sort of like a better way to live than just holding on to like being optimistic about things. And, and I saw that when I, when I watched the videos, like, oh, that optimism similar to gratitude is reliance on thought as opposed to flow being doing things without the perception of yourself. And I actually wrote down while I was tripping something like this spectrum of flow versus fear and flow being zero self and fear being like, you know, a hundred percent self. When you are very afraid, it is like you are, it is all me. Like you can't, even see anything else except for your identity. When you are flowing, when you are doing, you are fully immersed in the doing. You are the doing. There is no self to even be concerned about, to even fear whatsoever. So when you are in that flow state, that is like peak alignment with what is. It's like you mentioned with Alan Watts saying, being in the river versus, you know, fears like swimming against the river thinking you can get away from it and completely resisting everything whereas flow is the easiest thing you can ever do it's perfect alignment there is and there is no you to be had it's almost like you know the flow of the river is going say 10 miles per hour and when you're flowing with the river you are going the exact speed of the river versus when you're going against it it's like you're going i don't know two mi two miles per hour in the other direction and it's like when you are going any, any speed besides that 10 miles per hour, there is some semblance of you. And the more you're going against it, the more you there is. So that spectrum of fear versus flow, I just found to be very interesting. And it, all it is, is no self, all self. That's it. I'd rather serve in heaven than rule in hell or reign in hell, right? Like that, that's it, is that it's service. At the end of the day, you're, you're just allowing yourself to be part of the flow, to be part of the whole, and, and you're acting as a part of it. I, I had said this in a video recently that 
you know, loving your God really just means being aware that everything is God. That, that's really all it is, because in doing that, in, in, in being aware of that, maintaining awareness of that, which is always just cropping off the, the fiction of you every time it pops up and it takes root, that in itself creates a different action. It creates a different ripple in the world. It creates a different way of dealing with everybody because you're no longer seeing them as something to resent or something to fight against or something that might try and take away from you. You're not fighting the river, right? And that's the whole thing. You're, you're just part of it. Oh, how can I help you? How can I help you? And, and it's, it's just because I have nothing to lose. Why wouldn't I? Right? And, and so it's a different way of thinking. And one that we, at the moment is totally foreign to us. I mean, we, we have no idea how to interact that way. We're learning in small pockets. You see more and more people coming together and trying to, to help one another because they can. But often we don't do that until things have gotten so bad that we don't have a choice. And we have to almost start to develop this longer term vision, you know, in the same way that uh, indigenous tribes tend to think in terms of seven generations into the future before they make any decision about how what's going to happen on on their land in their tribe and what what they're going to change. They think about how is this going to work out seven generations down the road. That that's a long vision Like you start thinking about that, you, you make your choices with a lot more care. And that's something that we have to kind of adopt, not seven generations, because of course I'm not one for, for structure and, and, and rules and whatnot, but just the idea of looking beyond the immediate gratification to how things will play out down the road. Not ideally, because I mean, it's one thing to cherry pick facts and go, oh, it'd be great. It's another thing to look at everything in, in honesty and go, right, but sometimes we're gonna be a little lazy. Sometimes we're going to be a little irresponsible. Sometimes we're going to be a little selfish. And, and so we should make choices, keeping those considerations in mind, which is very much what we were talking about in terms of the, uh, the audience and the community that we're building on Discord here around our Dualistic Unity podcast is that in season two, we're going to be focusing on this a lot, encouraging this conversation, encouraging dialogue around the awareness of what is, the awareness that our identity is not the truth. And building ripples and encouraging ripples that embody that insight. So community gardens, um, fighting for social justice, um, helping people who might need the help or just getting on their feet, anything really that you can think of that comes from a place of empathy, where it's just the action that seems right to you because you recognize yourself in someone else. That is the point of building this community. That, that's all it is. We don't want to have a community that follows us we want to have a community that leads each other because in leading each other each of us takes personal accountability and responsibility for our impact on the whole and when we do that everything starts to change slowly at first but it spreads like wildfire yeah yeah certainly no it's, it's definitely very exciting with all of that i wanted to go back to one of your points about a god and like just the whole idea that this is something else I was thinking about, but if we couldn't think there wouldn't be any idea of God, like thinking creates God. So when you're thinking about, or I keep saying thinking, but like when you're, you know, thinking about the act of, of doing and doing things and being in that state of flow, there is no idea of God. Sky daddy doesn't exist when you are fully immersed in the doing in God itself here and now there's no idea of a higher power. There's no idea of, you know, a judgmental 
old white dude sitting up in the sky. It's just, there is no idea of God without thought, like thought God requires thought. The idea of God requires thought. It's like, it's so crazy. There wouldn't be no God if like animals don't have a God because they can't think they're just experiencing life here and now, I mean, at least as far as I know, they can't think maybe, I mean, they have some semblance of awareness and whatnot and, and, you know, needs and desires, but yeah, without our ability to think and just going back to doing and that lack of identity without identity, without thought strictly with, you know, doing, being in that state of flow, being in alignment with life, there is no idea of God to be had. You have to think in order to believe in God. You have to think in order to have any beliefs whatsoever, quite frankly, beliefs require thought as well. So like our whole thing talking about like living a life beyond belief and connecting it with this idea of not needing thought, even for things like gratitude and optimism, it's like, it's all connected and you cannot have a belief without the ability to think. And so if you don't need to rely on that anymore, there are no beliefs to be had. Yeah. And without conceptual division, what remains is unity. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Almost all of our, our culture relies on conceptual division, whether it be by associate, socioeconomic status or color or religion or, or nation. Um, it doesn't matter. We just keep dividing lines and then we divide them in between inside the hierarchy where you, know, and you have a company that's separate from another company and then one person's the president, one person's the COO and one, one person's the accountant, blah, blah, blah. And each one has a different role underneath somebody else. And our whole, our whole system relies on identification, categorization, separation, and we just take it so seriously that we forget it was just meant to facilitate getting the job done, right? Like that's all this was meant to be. All of this, this, this conceptual stuff was just meant to make it easier to go, hey, you, other part of me, can you go and do this while I, this part of me, go and do that? Like it was just meant to make communication easier. And then we started taking it seriously and like, well, no, you're this role and I'm this role and this role is more valuable than that role. It's like, right, but if that role didn't exist and this role wouldn't exist and this is the whole thing, like, we're all tied together, all of it. We're all equally valuable in that we're all equally part of the whole. And so it's just keeping that in mind. It's just keeping that in mind, but we can't keep that in mind while we're committed to ourselves. That's what keeps kicking us in the ass. Like we keep coming back with this idea of compassion. Right? And this is what I was saying before. Compassion is another one, like gratitude, right? I'm being compassionate. Really, that sounds kind of selfish. Right? And that's what Krishnamurti was saying is there is no forgiveness in compassion. Right? Most people don't like that expression, but it's true because it's all about you. Who are you to forgive anybody? Who are you to have a standard? Who are you to say what somebody else should be doing? If you're hurt, then that's on you to deal with. Right. But there's no forgiveness and compassion. You know, real compassion is not having an issue, accepting who they are. Right. And that's it. And that's not forgiveness. That, that has nothing to do with you looking down from on high and saying, it's OK, you're good enough now. I, I've forgiven you. And it's not about that at all. It's just about recognizing the equality that's always been there, the uncertainty that we all have. That's it. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild how often our egos come in, 
in so many different situations, including things like compassion or, you know, selflessness. Like I am selfless. I am. It's like you just said you yourself is selfless. You know how much of an oxymoron that is? And the other thing I was thinking about that made a lot more sense was how much when you've talked about um, ego deaths and how hilarious it is when someone says, you know, I killed my ego or I have had an ego death and I am egoless. And it's like, you just said I like four or five times. Like there is clearly an ego there because you just confirmed that through the use of I. And there's nothing wrong with having an ego. It's required for communication. If there were no egos, there would be no illusion of duality whatsoever. So you can't have an ego death. You can have situations where your sense of self is reduced to the point that you almost forget that you are separate. And that that is just experiencing unity here and now. But it is not a continuous thing as long as you are saying that it's something that happened to you. Because if there was an ego death, there is no you. So, and same with the idea of enlightenment, you know, people like to probably a lot of people compare, you know, an ego death with experiencing enlightenment. Same thing with enlightenment. If you experience enlightenment, what you is there to experience enlightenment? If you understand there is no you and there is only unity and there is complete non-duality and this is all an illusion of duality, what you is left to be enlightened? You know, what you is there to have an ego death? You had an ego death. There is no you. It's an oxymoron. You can't have one and the other at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And this is what, this is that short circuit that we get, right? Like we think enlightenment is something I have to achieve. And in there is the riddle. I, right? Actually, enlightenment is something I can never achieve. All that can cease is the illusion of I, right? And that, that is, you know, the enlightenment. That is the illumination of what's actually happening in the world, right? It is, oh, it's not about me. <laughs> like, it's not about this idea of me at all. All of that is just me, you know, sticking to my conceptual mumbo jumbo for the sake of, of getting some idea that I know what's happening, right? It's like you were saying in your post, you know, the problem isn't, you know, that you don't know what's happening. It's that you think you should know what's happening. It's like, how are you expected to? How can you possibly expect to know everything that's happening? And even, even considering just the limitations of our form, right? We don't take in all of the, the bands of light that are here, all the waves of sound that are here, all of the, the, the types of odor that are here. We don't even take in at like half of that, not even a fragment of it. So all we're ever doing is guessing what's going on. That's all we're ever doing. And so taking that too seriously, you have to ask yourself, well, why? Why would we take ourselves so seriously if we know we're so limited? And the answer is need. That's it. And the society is reinforced into us that we should know, you know, by the time we're 18 years old, we should know what we're doing for the rest of our lives. And it's like, what the fuck kind of backwards ass thinking is that to think that 18 now, I mean, I'm only 26. Like I still feel super young, but like now 18 to me, that's, you know, eight years younger than me. That seems very young. When I was 18, I felt like, you know, super grown up adult. Like I certainly wasn't, but to think even at 30 or 40, like 
also, what is the fun in having things figured out? Like it's impossible. And that's the other thing is like when the identity of yourself is reinforced, it only leads to suffering and fear and thinking that I should have things, I should have me figured out. You know, I should know myself by now. It's like you fucking can't. So it's unfortunate that our society pushes this so hard to know yourself and know what you're doing with your life, know what your career should be. And it brews up all of this anxiety for kids at the end of high school. You know, they need to know what they're doing with the next step of their life. They need to know what college they're going to towards the end of college. They need to know what job they're getting. You know, they start in the workforce. They need to know what career they should have for the rest of their life. You know, getting into their late twenties, early thirties, they need to know, you know, who they're going to be with for the rest of their life. They need to know how many kids they want to have. And it's like, why can't we just settle on understanding that we can never know? And then that whole world of fear and anxiety and suffering that is self-perpetuated by ourselves individually and our society as a whole goes away when we settle on understanding that I don't know, rather than settling on answers and thinking that we should know because we can't. So thinking that we should is only going to create this friction that leads to worry and anxiety and depression and all of these things that are so prevalent in our society these days. Right. But if I'm not happy, how can I get happy if I'm not trying to satisfy myself? And, and that's, that's the catch. And I, I was stuck in it for years. I mean, you start thinking to yourself like, oh, I deserve better. It's like, eh. it's not that you're wrong, right? It's just that deserve is, is a fiction, kind of like fair, right? And, and it goes along with the idea of I. Like, it's not that you deserve or don't deserve anything. What can you do, right? What options are in front of you? What can you see? right? How much clarity do you have at any given moment where you can, you can establish different directions? It's not about deserving or, or being fair. That just reinforces the idea of I, and it's almost like we will settle. If, if we have the realization that we can't ever be certain about the future, at least we can try to be certain about the future by being certain about who we think we are and what we're capable of. So it's like, we're not even trying to be certain about what's going to happen to us, we're certain about what we're, what we're capable of doing. We're not capable of doing. So we've settled for even a lower form of certainty just to reinforce the idea of I, like it, it becomes a catch. And this is why it's like when people will say, well, I, I know I deserve better. It's like, you don't actually. The question is, are you willing to go and find out? Are you willing to find out whether you can get to better, whether you can change direction? You know, because you can sit here and thinking about what you deserve. You can sit here thinking about real what reality is going to give you or not give you, or you can try and look at things differently and find a different direction, right? It's just like being in a maze. Maybe if you're just going to sit there and say, I deserve to get out of the maze, you're never going to find your way out. Yeah. It's like, we'd rather feel comfortable knowing what we can't do than being uncertain, thinking we might be able to, or be uncertain about what we can do or can't do and not just not knowing and, and being okay sitting here and now in that infinite field of possibilities that is 
the here and now always rather than being sure. And when you're able to question those things that you're so sure about yourself and those ideas about yourself that have been, you know, molded into you that have been conditioned into you that have been, you know, that you have told yourself for years and years and years, realizing that they are never the truth, no matter how much you think, no matter how much proof you think you have, they never are the truth. They never can be. So realizing that, you know, while it may seem more comfortable to be certain about, you know, your flaws and what you can't do, it, it isn't. And long-term it only leads to and perpetuates that feeling of suffering and that idea of who you are, that identity, which is solidified and reaffirmed by all of the beliefs that you have about yourself and who you are and the things that you believe in only reinforces that identity, which as we started off this podcast, that identity is the root of all of it. All of the thoughts and perceptions and beliefs that you have about yourself reinforce that identity. That is what makes up that identity at the end of the day. Like those ideas, those stories reinforce that identity. So as soon as you start questioning them and picking them apart one by one, you're picking apart that root that is the root of all of your suffering. So rather than telling yourself a new story or, you know, going through even like affirmations that are so popular, like instead of focusing on those to just try and like, you know, contradict in this like never ending battle of the perception of yourself that will go on and on for eternity until you've suffered so much, you don't even know which way is up. Instead of focusing on reaffirming your identity in a positive light, just question all of it and rip that shit out of the ground. And then there is nothing left to suffer rather than fighting this battle every single day. You can pull the root and realize there's nothing left to be suffering. There is nothing left to be anxious about. And that is where, you know, the excitement of the here and now and, and enjoyment of what is and enthusiasm for what is and being the doing, being the action that you are doing here and now that is always happening here and now that you are here and now that is what you will be rather than holding on to this identity that comes with you every step of the way through every doing that you do, you are all of a sudden just the doing itself. And that idea of you has melted away, has subsided, has disintegrated into the doing. And all of a sudden there is no division. And that is non-duality. That is unity. Yeah. And that is just the practice of that, which, which I've said before is ultimately what you're trying to do in martial arts, but it's very helpful to remember that if you find yourself thinking about yourself, you know, you're losing energy, you know, that you're feeling low and, and, and that's definitely something that's helped me. And so just bring yourself back to the present. And I know Andrew had mentioned this in a video recently where uh, he was saying, just focus on your senses because your senses are always in the present. They're always now, right? How you feel, what you smell, what you hear, that's all happening now. Your interpretation, your thoughts about those things are a different thing, right? So before you get to the stage of interpretation, before you get to the stage of opinion about what it is you're feeling, just focus on the feeling. Focus as deeply into it as you can. Just whatever it is, let the thoughts uh, subside. And what you'll find is when 
you're done doing that, you will have a feeling of being a little bit refreshed. You will have a feeling of at least feeling a little bit more clear, like there's less weight on you. And it's because ultimately you decided to take the weight off just for a second. It's really just attention moment to moment to moment. We take off weight and put on weight just moment to moment all the time, just by thinking about things. Like if, if I have a habitual thought about myself when I'm in a certain situation and then I end up in that situation, all of the, that habitual thought comes back. I'm bringing my old me. This is why people have problems when they move away from their home, from their parents' place, become a different person. And then years later, go back to see their parents and immediately go back into the old habits that they had when they lived with their parents. And it's because they're bringing that old person who they were in that house back into their reality. They're thinking about themselves that way again. And so all those old habits start popping up again. That's how quick it happens. That's how easy it is, right? And this is why relationships can be very dangerous too. Because in romantic relationships, we tend to bring the last person we were in the previous relationship with us if we haven't been working on ourselves in between, right? So it's always just important to remember that as soon as you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about something that came from the past. You're, you're thinking about an illusion. You're thinking about limitations. You're, you're thinking about a division that isn't there. It's not there. And, and the more you can just let that go, the more you will start to actually be able to hear people. And I think that that is something as a salesman that I learned when I was very young. I remember we were uh, doing an exercise in this sales class. And the exercise was, you know, if you're talking to somebody and they say, you know, I have 26 cows and five of them die. How many cows do I have left? And so everybody's like, well, 21, you have 21 cows. And he's like, no, listen to it again. You know, I have 26 cows and five of them die. And he was saying 26 cows. So it's 15 was the answer, right? But because he was saying it so fast and because you're making an assumption, you get the wrong message out of it, right? And this was the whole point of listening. Don't make assumptions. Don't try to get to the end of the conversation. Don't try to, it's all about being present. And so the less you're thinking about yourself, the less you're trying to validate yourself or justify yourself or, or compare yourself, the more you're able to actually hear people when, what they're saying and more importantly, why they're saying it, because you'll recognize why you would say that. It changes communication entirely. It really does. And it, it's all about just getting out of the way. I can't, I can't tell you how funny I find it, how many courses I took in being confident or public speaking, or anything like that, years later to realize all I had to do was just allow myself to fail a few times and I would have found my way. It is crazy how much, you know, reading and learning people try to do about these things when, you know, action is the irreplaceable thing that it comes down to really like there's so many situations where and even for me you know with with content and you know like doing podcast episodes I didn't really I have I actually have never really I follow a few accounts on TikTok that are like you know tips for creators stuff like that but for the most part like I didn't do any you know research going into content creating or doing a podcast it's like very limited amount of time spent in that and just doing things and you learn not only so much more from just doing, but so much faster, like it happens so much faster and it happens without you trying to learn. It's just doing, and it almost happens naturally with you without you even having to go back and like analyze what you have done in the past. And going back to 
you discussing, you know, with your sales role, just being, you know, letting go of that sort of idea of yourself and being more present. When I first, you know, early on in, in understanding, even just like before I even knew what the present moment was, you know, one of the first books I read was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that helped me just realize that, oh shit, like it really is the only thing. Like I've spent my entire life worrying about everything besides right now. And when I brought that into conversations, all of a sudden conversations were so much easier to have because I didn't realize it at the time, but there was no me in the way of the conversation. So I used to you know, have conversations and I would be thinking about myself, like how is the other person perceiving what I am saying? Are they enjoying what I'm saying and all these things? And as soon as I started to just like be more immersed fully in the conversation, realizing that that conversation here and now is the only thing happening ever, like right now, that's it. That's it. Like any thoughts in my head are all about something outside of that. And my thoughts about myself are all, you know, what is this person going to think about me after the conversation or something like that? And as soon as I started, you know, without me knowing it, getting myself out of the way, those conversations were so much more seamless and fluid. And it's sort of been that way more so in terms of just like communication and conversation. And it really just comes down to there being less me involved in the act itself. You know, I am having a conversation. I am the act of having a conversation. That conversation is not happening without me. I am that conversation happening here and now. And that's just you existing without this idea of you and perception of yourself. Yeah. And then intelligence acts like that's that's the funniest part about it is, is that we, we spend so much time trying to think to ourselves, this is going to go well. I'm going to do well. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to be fine. They're not going to think anything wrong about me. I'm going to word this perfectly. And then of course, if it doesn't go perfectly, then we worry about ourselves and we think about ourselves and we do all that. And that's where our intelligence goes. It goes towards where we point it and we point it at a fiction. And so it just continues to process information about that fiction. Whereas if we were to get out of the way and allow it to process the information that's happening in the environment and in the situation we're in, we have a different outcome, right? And so this is ultimately what Discover Transcendence was all about. And, and to any of our listeners who haven't watched Discover Transcendence, uh, it was a video I made, I think three or four years ago, where I tried to wrap up three of the cognitive behaviors that are, are natural to us as human beings that tend to get in our way when we're trying to establish a sense of clarity. And so it's about 48 minutes long and it goes through a number of things we do, such as you know, habit and cognitive dissonance and protecting our identity. And the entire point of that video was grace, was to eventually get to a point where you question these mechanisms enough, where you find yourself in a state where you're not thinking about yourself. You're having the experience that you're having right now, which leads to the realization of what is the recognition of reality and the awesome potential that lies within the experience that we all tend to disregard as just being a physical human experience. There's so much more in that. And of course, that leads us to the recognition or, or rather the, um, the experience of, it, of what people have referred to as God or Allah or the Tao or enlightenment or anything like that. And so very much in the process of letting all of this go, we are 
allowing ourselves to see what's there, which is what's leading us to the next project that we're going to be working on here on Dualistic Unity. And I wanted to bring this up quickly because it's the first project where we are actively going to be fundraising. Um, we are doing a second part to Discover Transcendence called Beyond Transcendence, where we are going to be exploring exactly what the reality of, of God or enlightenment is once we get past the illusion of the self, what it is religion has been trying to communicate and how it's been distorted over time, what the actual reality is that's available to all of us when we surrender our, our illusion of ourselves and the need to believe. And so we're gonna be making a movie about that and it's gonna be very involved. We're gonna have some great clips, a couple of interviews in there. I know Andrew's gonna be on the ground doing some stuff. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna be working on it over the next four to six months. And so if you would like to see how that goes, if you'd like to see our collective effort to challenge belief and everything that's built around belief, then definitely join us on Patreon. We would love for you to be a part of this movement. Yeah, that's I'm very excited for that because it's just it's going to be so involved in other areas than us just, you know, talking on Zoom once a week. It's going to it's going to bring so many other parts in and so many other people in and, you know, it, it'll be. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And just to see some of the insights and some of the discussions that are had through that experience. It's, a, it's going to be a great conversation because we, we tend to talk about religion and belief and spirituality and all that. And I've had numerous people say, well, why don't you identify as spiritual? And I don't identify as spiritual because to me, that's, that's an, uh, another division that's fictitious. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Kind of like saying, you know, uh, the mind-body relationship. There's no real division between the mind and the body. So it, it's kind of one of those conversations you don't really need to have right? They're the same thing. They're one and the same. And, and so spirituality to me is just separating the physical into another layer. Uh, and there is no separation. I mean, the fact is, is that my internal is my external. They're tied together, right? So we're just going to continue exploring that as deeply as it goes. And we're going to get into the the meat and bones of what it is that's been lost in religion. And what I mean is that Religion was meant to bind us together. We've talked about this before. The etymology of religion is to bind together, but all it does is divide. And it's because we get caught up in ourselves and this idea of ourselves. And I find it so interesting that in so many religions, there is the symbolism for that, right? Like the Toltecs called it, I think, Matote or something like that. Basically, they looked at it as a parasite within the mind that fed on our energy. That's actually how they described it, right? In the Bible, they talk about it as the devil. Right. So all of these symbolisms for our ego, for our identity, for the illusion that gets put up when we when we invest in this fiction. It, just having that conversation in a way that doesn't involve worshiping a concept or having to adhere to a certain discipline or having to identify with a certain group, being able to actually work towards the reality in the same way that we're talking about how thinking is a distorted form of intelligence belief is a distorted form of existence right and that's what beyond transcendence is going to be about is moving past this idea of transcendence past this idea of god past this idea of enlightenment to the actual realization of what it, it means and that it's possible for us here and now it doesn't require you to go to a monastery 
It doesn't require you to, to pray or, or use a rosary. It doesn't require you to follow monks into the mountains. It doesn't require you to do any of this. It's something that's possible here and now all the time, so long as you are willing to have humility and faith and question the certainty that goes along with your fiction. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it really comes down to like that true freedom. And I just thought while you were saying that, like the idea that accessories aren't necessary to living a life beyond belief, you know, it, it's almost like it's so freeing. And even myself, like having, you know, not been religious for a while now, but even going beyond the need to meditate every day or, you know, write down manifestations and whatnot. It was like, those were still things, crutches that I was relying on. And now it's like, I exist day to day and all I need is myself. And I recently told Ray about uh, one of my accounts that has a lot of my cryptocurrency got hacked and someone tried to transfer a lot of money. And it was a very strange experience for me because while it was, you know, it would have been a bummer if it happened. It wasn't like this incredibly jarring thing to myself because, and when I, I, I've kind of understood that I'm not, you know, tied to the money that I have as much, but it was, I was able to see it more clearly. And I just remembered that I still have me, you know, and that's all I need. That is my experience and that's all I'll ever need. So no matter what gets taken, it's like living without as much identity, there isn't as much to desire and there isn't nearly as much to lose. Like there isn't things you're afraid of losing. And I was thinking about this with the idea of gratitude as well. The moment you are grateful, you are afraid. And it, it may be difficult for people. And I'm sure if I got in a debate with someone, they would refute that and say something like, oh, I'm, I can be grateful, but you know, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of losing those things I'm grateful for. I'm just grateful for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what people go back to. Like, there's nothing wrong with believing in God. There's nothing wrong with being grateful, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, if you want to hold on to that, like, I'm not going to like, you know, force you to stop thinking that I can't do that, but to think that you can be grateful for something and not simultaneously be afraid is kind of a bit of a oxymoron. Like as you are grateful for it, you have to be afraid of losing it to a degree. And so you don't have to be grateful for these things because being grateful is reinforcing that identity of yourself, which is the root of all of your suffering, fears, worries, depression, anxiety, all of it. So even something that like every single help self-help guru out there says is, you know, that's the peak. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's the peak of the mountain. Gratitude is like, even that reinforces your identity, which is the root of all of your suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and the argument's simple, right? It's like, you know, I, I'm grateful for this. Okay, let me take that away. How do you feel? That's it. Let's just let me take it away. Well, my gratitude's gone. Exactly why you would be afraid if you were grateful. Because it's something that can end with something being taken away. So your state of being is immediately based on an external. It's not based on, on you just being 
you know, in a state of mind right now. Like I, I've said before that I have no reason to be happy and I don't want any, right? I just choose to be because I can, because it's available. It's just a matter of, of allowing myself to be in the state of mind where that is what's expressed. And, and typically that just comes from me not investing in so many concepts that put me in conflict with my reality. And, and that's really all that is, is having opinions about things, people, you know, even what's going on in the world, it can inform your decisions to some degree, but it can also put you in a box to the point where nothing's ever okay because it's not the way you would do it. And so opinion can be super dangerous that way. And then this is the thing that I, I really try to avoid. Well, even just with, with this podcast, for example, or, or with making videos on TikTok, it's like you were saying, you know, it's, well, what's wrong with it? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with anything that you're doing. Nothing. You can do anything you want. Everything is permitted. Question is, are you, are you good with that? Like if I was to say there's an option where you didn't have to suffer or feel so defensive, if I was to say there's an option where you didn't have to protect an idea of yourself because it was always under fire, wouldn't that be something you'd want to talk about? And, and that is really the crux of all of this, right? Like people will say, oh, well, you know, Jesus said this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, how are you feeling today? We can talk about Jesus, we can talk about the Bible, we can talk about interpretation, we can compare scripture and all of that. The real question really just comes down to, do you feel connected? Do you feel like you're a part of the whole? Do you feel like you are one with reality, that you are not disconnected? Because that's all the realization of God is, right? And the existence of hell is feeling absolutely disconnected. It's like you said, right? Fear, just the overcommitment to I. That is hell, because the more committed to I I am, the more walls I have, right? And then it just becomes a prison where it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And as, as I start to reinvest in the idea of me to get out of that prison, it just keeps getting tighter and tighter. And until we see that, until we have that cognitive leap where we go, oh my God, like I'm actually just thinking about myself. We're stuck. We're stuck thinking about ourselves, trying to get out of thinking about ourselves, it's one of those things where it's like, you just have to surrender. There's no logical step to that leap of faith. You actually just have to go, I'm not what I think I am, ever. And then just deal with reality with that in mind. That's it. It'll make more sense as you go. But at first, it's super difficult because you're, you don't have any sense of control. All of the things you used to think about in order to make yourself feel certain are gone they're gone. And so you just have to continue moving forward. And what happens is after a while, you start to, instead of trying to build an idea of yourself or, or confidence, you discover self-efficacy. You discover that through stumbling enough times, you get better at walking. Through failing enough times, you get better at succeeding. And your brain continues to refine everything that it does. It does not require you to analyze your progress. In fact, analyzing your progress, like we've said multiple times about the archer, just splits your attention, actually makes it harder for you to progress. Yeah. Wow. That actually makes a lot more sense to me for that idea. I've talked before about how I've always thought of confidence or not always, but you know, last year or so of confidence being an, an action more than a feeling. And that's kind of like the exact thing you're just saying, right? And so it's not even like everyone thinks confidence is a feeling like you have confidence. So then you're able to do things. But I've even said like, 
I've thought of analogies about, you know, action despite how you feel and confidence being just this building. And every action you take, no matter how afraid you are, is a brick that you're adding to the building. And all it is, is just action upon action, upon action, upon action, upon action. And then all of a sudden, it's not even like, yeah, you get to a feeling of confidence if you want to call it that, but it's just like, you've just done it so many times that there is no thing to not be confident about. Again, like with these podcasts, I've never really been, you know, uncomfortable on our podcast, maybe like the first one a little bit, just because it was like uncertain a little bit, but like just doing, you know, I've done 30 of my own episodes. I've been the guest on a number and it's not like I've been trying to gain confidence as I go. It's just, I've done it so many times that I can't even think of something to be afraid of. And fear is typically kind of the other end of the spectrum of like, you know, a lot of confidence in people's head is like, they're either confident or they're afraid. And so it's, it's not even that you feel super confident. It's just, you don't have anything to be afraid of. So all that's left is, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? And um, the other thing you're talking about with, you know, believers and, or at least this is how, where I was taking it was the believer, like believers in fiction, they talk about how, you know, you know, God helps people and belief helps people. And you, you know, I've had people I was talking to recently just saying things like, you know, you don't know that everyone's fear and worries are rooted in their identity. It's like, well, what else is it rooted in? And I was like, name me something. Didn't get a response to that message. But um, when people talk about, you know, that and that belief, and it's like, how do you know all of these people are worried and anxious? And I'm like, because I get hundreds of DMs every single week of people talking about, it. I get hundreds of comments every week on my videos. I have a lot of people, like most of the stuff I post about is this type of stuff, like dealing with these types of things. This for me is just like a new, clear understanding of that and how identity is this root. So questioning beliefs is a massive part of that. So that is why I am posting these things. And people who say things like, you know, I feel better believing in God. And it's like, you're still fucking afraid of death though. Like you're still afraid of death. Don't tell me that God's soothing your fear of death. Don't tell me that thinking you're going to heaven is soothing your fear of death. Cause I know it's not. Cause I know you're so afraid. I know you still fe like fear a lot of things. I know you're still worried all the time. And it all comes back to your idea of yourself. And so say all you want about how God's helping everyone, but everyone's still super depressed, super anxious, super afraid, including and certainly not limited to believers, like if not, you know, being the most of them, it's like God isn't actually helping anything. It just makes them feel a little bit good sometimes, but they still have all of those fears and they might have even more fears and more traumas from thinking they're going to like burn in hell for eternity or some crazy ass shit like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because they'll say, well, there's a benefit to religion. And there have been numerous peer-reviewed studies showing that in religious communities, there are benefits within the community, such as community of support and uh, empathy, being there for one another. But that's because you, you identify in the same way as the people within that community. The people outside of that community is the problem. The people who don't identify the same way, the people who don't share that religion, 
you can't express that same empathy in that community to somebody who identifies differently. It becomes very difficult to do so, right? And that, that's it. That's the problem with religion is that it's more divisive than it is unifying. But I find it very interesting that often you'll, you'll hear people cite that study or those studies and say, look, religion obviously has a benefit. It's like, no, 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 no. Community has a benefit. Empathy has a benefit, right? Human interaction has a benefit. Sure, religion is facilitating those things, but only within a small group. So if we can get rid of the small group, then we can just facilitate those things for their own sake, in which case we'll continue to benefit. Religion's not the cornerstone of that, right? If anything, it's the governor on that. It's the thing that's limiting how effective that we could be with one another. And, and so, yeah, I always find it very interesting. We cherry pick, right? We cherry pick. It's like, no, 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 look, there's proof. What I'm doing is right, right? Again, how do you feel, <laughs> right? Like, how is your day going? Do you feel connected? Or do you have to run back to church on Sunday just to make sure that you're all caught up with, with Sky Daddy, just in case you get hit by a car or something? And, and that's it, is that they will tell you a great many things. People tell themselves a lot of things. I spent years telling myself things. It doesn't make them true. And I always find it very interesting because I, I've had that conversation. I often have that conversation. It's like, well, how do you know that's true for everybody? Because it's the crux of the observer and the observed relationship. I, right? That is the crux of it for everybody. Everybody, at least who's human. Let's just keep it simple, right? There's an I there. And as long as that's the case, then we're all going through the same experience in different iterations and different variations, sure. But the, under, the underlying uh, environment or the underlying situation is the same. I perceive myself as divided from reality, right? And so I invest in this fiction of me. That's, that's universal. People may not like it. They may not want to admit it. They may not want to look at it, but that's because then they wouldn't be able to judge you, right? They, they would have to actually look at it and start questioning themselves. Instead, they're going to go, no, that's not possible. You're just making assumptions. You're... you're um, you're being arrogant, right? You think you know everything. And it's like, actually, I don't. I've just questioned myself into oblivion and this is what remains. So question yourself and let's see what happens for you because I would love to have that conversation. But typically at that point, they've, they've run away and said, you know, well, we'll just agree to disagree. And, and that's the end of the conversation. It's like, okay, so this isn't about faith. It's not about God. It's not about connecting to anything. It's not actually genuine. It's just about fitting in and feeling a little less afraid. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how many <laughs> comments I get about my delivery on those videos, you know, like, oh, you're so condescending. You're so arrogant. It's like they don't actually talk about it. And I've even <laughs> I've even commented back to people who are like, this is so arrogant and condescending. I can't even you know, watch it again. This is like beyond belief. I'm, I'm respond like, wow, that's quite a bit about my character. Do you have anything to say about the video? And they're like, no, I can't even, I'm not even going to bother commenting on this. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like you just come back to my delivery and it's like, you know, you seem angry, you seem agitated, you seem very aggressive in the things that you're saying. I'm like, I'm really not. I don't mean to be. I, I mean to be kind of funny. And I, I am, you know, poking some fun here, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that, considering the damage that has been done through beliefs like this. I think a little bit of fun poking may be 
you know, not necessary, but it, it, it can happen. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting how people just come back to, they don't even bother talking to you about the message. It's like, it just comes back to you and, and your identity because you are questioning their identity, which they are, you know, so afraid of losing. And it's like them standing on that wobbly chair and you're just like kicking one of the legs like pretty hard. And they're like, you know, wobbling, shaking, and you're kicking it harder. And they're like, you're condescending and and aggressive. and, And why are you doing that? And then, you know, they just refuse to realize that it's the chair under them that's the issue and the crux of the issue and their identity is the crux of the issue. It's, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's like you could just get off the chair, right? We could just have a talk, that, but that's it. it. It's, and this is exactly why I've changed how I talk to people over the years. Like I said, when I was you know, a little younger than you, it was, oh yeah, I want to talk about this with everybody. Now it's, um, if you come to me, cool, we'll talk, right? But I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to try and convince you. I'm not going to do anything because either you are questioning or you're not. And if you're not, this isn't going to go anywhere. I can't make you question. You can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make a drink. It's exactly the point is that you have to recognize where there are people who just aren't aren't in that place where they can go down that road yet, which doesn't mean that they won't be at some point, but your participation in that conversation is just going to make them go farther away to some degree, because they're, they're just looking at you. You are threatening me. Right. And that's something I said, uh, one of your commenters said, you know, it's like, you know, I was a fan of yours and still you, until you started uh, shitting all over my beliefs. It's like, he's not though. He's talking about belief as a whole not yours specifically. I don't know what you believe, right? I'm just talking about the nature of belief, but that, that's not, that's not a common conversation. That's why they always go, well, scripture, because they know how to deal with that. Right. But as soon as you start going, "Ah, hold on, belief, not what you believe, but belief as a whole, let's talk about that. They don't know what to do with that because that's not a conversation our society has. And if they do have it, it becomes atheism, right? Which is unfortunately still a belief, right? It's still a form of identification. It's still reinforcing I, right? Like that's the whole thing where atheists are actually closer to the recognition of God to some degree, because at least they're not passing responsibility off, but they're still perceiving a a separation based on their overcommitment to their own identity. Right. And so it caught, it catches them and it stops them from having that insight. Right. So it's, it's kind of funny that atheists are closer to God in not believing in God, but believers have an idea of God. And that's what stops them from recognizing it. And it's just, it's always the same thing. It's always me at the end of the day. It's the I perceiving the division that causes the distortion. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that that understanding that anything that reinforces that identity will lead to, you know, the reinforcement that is the root of the fear and the suffering. And as you're able to question those things, it's not necessary. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it's something that happens kind of overnight. It's like, oh my God, I have been, everything has been coming back to me. Everything is run through me. And without me, there is nothing 
to fear anymore. And it just comes back, you know, the process, if you want to call it a process, even it's just, you know, questioning as they come up and it, it, it isn't just, you know, it's not like an ego death, like people want to box it up and make it this simple thing. Like I have achieved enlightenment. I have had an ego death. It's like, it's a constant thing. And it's, yeah, you have an ego death, like you've said, until someone comes over and kicks you in the front of the shin. And then you're like, ah, that hurts me, you know? And, and all of a sudden, you know, there's that ego again. So it's something that, which isn't, again, an ego is not a bad thing. We've almost labeled it as, you know, and it's funny how it was only until I started listening to Jim Carrey talk about the ego is as like the sense of self, as opposed to, you know, someone who has a big ego, just like thinks highly of themselves. It's like kind of the two different definitions, I guess, of it. But the ego self is just the sense of self, which is a requirement to experience this illusion of duality. Like it's, it's a tool that can be utilized in a great way for you to experience this, you know, illusion of duality without, you don't have to take it super seriously, but in order for you to experience this dualistic illusion, there has to be an ego involved, but it doesn't have to run you. And when you get caught up in thinking that it is who you are, as opposed to using it as a tool, that is where all of the fear, depression, anxiety stems from, is thinking that it is who you are, as opposed to just a sort of character tool that you can utilize to have this experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it comes down to like we identify with it rather than just looking at what it is, right? I was uh, I made a video the other day about uh, channelers, just how channelers often know that they're just talking to themselves, but they also know that you're not going to pay for that service, and so they they say they're talking to source or they say they're talking to to some entity or something like that, and that's the case. You're and I encourage anybody who doubts that to contact that channeler not letting them know that you're you're doubtful and then just talk to them about your realizations about unity consciousness and and whether they understand that as well and almost all the time they'll come back and go yeah I, I, we understand that that's that's the case you know but that we got we got to make it more simple for people basically they say we have to dumb it down for people and that that you know it, it drives me nuts to some degree because that's not necessary and it causes more distortion and harm but more importantly it's because the the show that's put on in channeling perpetuates irresponsibility because it's putting the responsibility of those insights externally and it's teaching other people that if they do that those insights are available if you just find an entity that's insightful it'll help you instead of just teaching you they're all within you all the time and so somebody had commented like you know well what's the harm in this and they said aside from perpetuating irresponsibility you know, that's pretty much it. It's not that there's anything wrong. It's not bad because they're, they're all you already assumed it's bad. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it perpetuates irresponsibility, which always brings conflict and suffering in the, in the long run. And the person responded, so you've judged it as bad. And it's, it's like looking at irresponsibility for what it is, is not a judgment on somebody who's being irresponsible. We have to be able to look at the action 
without identifying with the action. Like it is what it is, whether it's good or bad is something else. So I responded to the person saying, no, that's your perception of your responsibility as bad. That was your immediate response. When I said your responsibility, maybe you should think about that. Why did you assume this reflected on you in a bad way? Because you obviously know, you know, which is why you don't like that it's being brought up, right? And that's what I mean. Like we lie to ourselves all the time and you can watch how close to the truth you're getting by how quickly people run away from you, <laughs> right? So just after, after a certain point, you don't even have to go out espousing any truths. You don't have to go out trying to teach anybody anything. Just be the insights or, or be the person that your insights have led you to become allow it to interact with the world through you, allow yourself to be whatever it is that you are. And, and you, will, you will marvel at, at exactly how much sense faith actually makes. It's so funny that people want to have faith in something, in an end result, right? Like earlier you were saying you almost lost a bunch of money in crypto and you were like, well, I'm not, I'm not panicking about this. It is what it is. And I know some people are going to say, well, Andrew has no responsibilities. He has, you know, he has no, no children. He has no wife relying on him. Well, I do. I have a wife and I have a child and I have a new cat and there's a gecko upstairs and there are things that I have to worry about, but I don't. And what I mean is that my house could burn to the, burn to the ground today. I could lose my job and everything else. I still know I'm going to roll with whatever happens next because I've always rolled with whatever happens next. That's the best I can do. I don't have to feel certain about how that's going to go or where that's going to go because that's all, you know, at best speculation. But I know that given a chance to come up with a solution to a problem, I typically do. And it's because I don't tell myself I can't. I don't tell myself other people would do it better, right? I don't tell myself a story that hinders my intelligence. And that is all the faith I need. Just faith in my ability to be reality in action. That's constantly what we are. It's just that we distort it. And that's what limits our possibilities. And it makes it harder for us to get up when we fall. Just remember that. You don't have to judge yourself for falling in order to get up. Yeah, that's that's a big one for me. Don't judge your judgments. And <clears throat> yeah, like a situation like that where, say, for example, you, you lose a bunch of money. Like if you're able to you know, take a step back and just see things as they are without distortion of me and that it was, you know, your money that you lost or something. Like if you're able to see that, say you lose a bunch of money, whether you have a bunch of kids or you don't, you have a bunch of responsibilities or you don't like, is there a benefit to freaking out? Say you lose a bunch of money and it's not coming back. You know, what is, what is the benefit in that situation of freaking out? It's only going to prolong the difficulty in dealing with the situation at hand. That's all that it does. And it's almost like some people probably can't even, you know, if we tell people that they can't even necessarily rationalize or comprehend like how you could do that, how you could lose a bunch of money and not freak out. But like, that's the only rational approach. It doesn't mean it's, you know, necessarily super easy. I don't want to say it's difficult because by saying that it's difficult, it may be more difficult for you if you believe that it's difficult, but you know, it, it, for most people, there have been times where this happens and they just lose their, lose their shit. Like they go crazy. But when you take a rational approach, like a 3000 foot view at it, 
there's no benefit and it's only going to prolong your suffering. It's only going to prolong your ability to get back to, you know, normality or, you know, whatever you want to call that, but it just, you know, dwelling on anything whatsoever, any thing that happened ever, whether it's you lose a bunch of money or, you know, you have a presentation and it doesn't go as well as you would have liked, like there is no benefit to dwelling on that. Just keep moving forward. You know, you make a video that flops or something like there is just make a new video. You could just remake that video again, learn what you learned from it and just make a new one. That's, you know, with what you've learned from that situation and keep moving forward. You know, somebody hacks your Coinbase account, take better precautions to make it a little bit more secure, like throw in some more two-factor authentications, Andrew, like Jesus Christ, like toss it on your treasure or something. Like don't keep so much money in Coinbase. That's a third-party entity. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like learn from it, take what you will from it, but the dwelling is completely, completely unnecessary. Yeah. You don't have to judge yourself to learn. In fact, it makes it harder to do so. I, I used to tell that to my daughter. I'm like, you can feel guilty or you can learn, but you can't do both, right? Like it's, it's very difficult to, to change yourself when you're telling yourself that you have something that, that you deserve to feel guilty. You're telling yourself a story and you're, you're putting yourself in a box where that's what you're going to experience. You don't have to dwell on your guilt to learn from it. You can realize what you've done. You can recognize all of the factors that led to it and maybe where, where the selfishness came in or where the distortion or the toxicity came in and adapt. But as long as you're telling yourself that you are a worse person for making that mistake or that you have less value because you didn't do that perfectly, you're just going to continue to repeat the cycle because ultimately it's that fiction of yourself that's stopping you from having the clarity to do that thing differently. Right. And it's always the same thing. I, I, again, I'm always mystified by how, how many years I spent trying to better myself, not realizing that the self I was trying to better was the reason I was having so many problems. That, that, that one was tricky for me because I always wanted to be a better person. I didn't allow myself to be the person that I was, which was ultimately my best person. Right. I just had to let it form over time. But we have these expectations like, oh, well, I'm going to be perfect as soon as I surrender. Yeah, you're going to be perfectly imperfect because perfect and imperfect are concepts. They don't exist. Right. It's, it's all just an idea. So you are going to organically grow and adapt just like anything else. You know, it was kind of like uh, earlier you were talking about, you know, how, how we'll, we'll kind of go through a lesson, go through a lesson, go through a lesson, and it just gets clearer and clearer and clearer until all of a sudden it's effortless. We're just, we've learned that insight. We're not thinking about it anymore. That's exactly what our synapses do, right? When our synapses are forming, when we're learning a new skill, they like brush past one another and then they'll start to connect a little bit and that becomes a little bit easier. And as we do it over and over again, they become just a solid connection in the same way as we repeat a habit it becomes a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And all of a sudden, boom, it's like it was, it was effortless. And it's because we've gone through that pathway often enough that it's, it's familiar, right? Well, it's the same with abandoning yourself. It's the same with abandoning your identity. It's just practice. It's just practice and priority. And the priority has to be, I'm just done making myself suffer. That's it. Because as soon as you're, you're, you can admit that you are contributing to your suffering, you will start to get some clarity as to how. 
right? But as long as you have opinions about your suffering, it's very, very difficult to see how you're contributing to it. Yeah, damn. Yeah, so with something like, because the whole idea of, you know, bettering yourself and, you know, maximizing your potential is a major part of our society right now. Do you think the idea of, you know, maximizing your potential is another thing that reinforces that identity, something like gratitude or optimism or any belief system is like striving to reach your full potential, or I guess, I guess really striving for anything is striving as you're striving, you are reinforcing your identity, like your idea of yourself is only being reinforced through striving. But to play like devil's advocate, I feel like there are people out there who kind of have that mentality and don't necessarily, or I don't know, maybe they do, but it seems like they don't have a ton of suffering that goes along with it or anxiety. Like a lot of times it does, but I don't know. Like, do you think there are cases where people have a very strong identity, but it's just in such a positive, you know, light that they don't have as much suffering as someone who has a strong identity that is in a negative light, if that makes sense? I, I think that it, it cuts both ways. I mean, the more committed you are to your identity, obviously, the more in conflict you're going to be with reality. You could surround yourself with yes men, right? Like, uh, like we were talking about um, Donald Trump and his environment is consistently pruned. So nobody disagrees with him, right? But then you could say, well, isn't he happy? Well, no, because he consistently has to make sure nobody's going to disagree with him. Like, you imagine the amount of relationships that get burnt. You imagine the amount of opportunities that get lost, the amount of insights that, that get you know, lost over just because he, he has the ability to just consistently pad his identity and reinforce it. And nothing can get in that's going to uh, contradict that. That's a terrifying place to be. Right. It might seem like it's super comfortable, but it's so easy to break. Like you're living in an egg. And, and so, yeah, no, it's always a prison. It may seem comfortable. And some people will actually put on the show like, this is awesome. Look at me. But they still go through those moments of doubt. They still have those moments of defensiveness. I mean, God, I don't even know who it was. There was a, a singer in the States recently and somebody accidentally called him Usher or something like that. And he just lost his shit and went and like started attacking the person for mistaking him or, or for deliberately calling him another artist. It's like, how sensitive are you? Like, exactly how fragile are you? Like, and, and that's what I mean is that that person, many people have assumed, well, he's famous, he's rich, obviously he's happy. His, his ego is working for him until somebody calls him the wrong name and then he just falls apart. Right. So it's, it's always a danger. It's always a danger because it's not real. Right. And you can avoid reality for a long time and you might even avoid it all the way up to your death, but at death, you're going to come back to the reality. You can't take any of it with you, including your idea of yourself. So you're going to be terrified. 
right? And so, yeah, no, it, it never leads to a state of happiness. There's always something underlying. You can distract yourself, though. You can run from it. You can, you can put on a pretty good show for a long time, but it's insidious. It creeps in underneath the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we see that all the time with celebrities and just like, I don't know, celebrity freakouts. And obviously, you know, they're just caught in a tough spot with the paparazzi, whatever, but it's so interesting. And something I was thinking about on Saturday and one of the videos I filmed was the idea that as you sort of like achieve more in the eyes of the world, your standards for, you know, happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction come with you. So it's almost like you're going, like you're achieving more, but you're not going anywhere. Like that barometer keeps moving with you. So there's an equal chance of, you know, happiness and anger, frustration, you know, fear as you go up or dissatisfaction. And one of the things I was talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Bilzerian, he's kind of like our, or he's older, he's like, I don't know, 40, but he's kind of like this generation's Hugh Hefner, sort of like, has this kind of crazy lifestyle, a ton of girls all around him. And I've listened to a few of his interviews and he's actually like a pretty intriguing guy. And he talks very openly and candidly about this idea of how like he, it takes way more for him to feel happy because along the way, the idea of himself has come with him. His identity has come with him. So even though it's way easier for him to get certain things that he wants, like go on crazy vacations, like do crazy things, like have all these girls around him, like his standards are higher. So it's the same sort of satisfaction, dissatisfaction, same uh, possibility of those things happening just at a higher level. But internally, it, he says it's no different than it was 10 years ago when he was in college, no one knew who he was. And he was like, trying to do fun stuff. Like it's the same exact feelings and people don't think like that. They don't realize that they're just striving for more, a new barometer, a new level of achievement in the eyes of the world, not realizing that that barometer, that standard comes with them every step of the way, as long as they still have that idea of themselves, as long as they still have that identity, it's always going to follow them. And those feelings feel exactly the same way that feeling, you know, when you have, say, $10,000 in the bank, and you have a project and you make $30,000 is the same as if you have $100,000 in the bank, and you have a project that you get $300,000, like those feelings are the same and the impact on your life, because your lifestyles are different are probably going to be similar too. people just don't I feel like people almost never think about that sort of barometer coming with them. And it's like, it seems obvious when you think about it, but it's not that common, I guess, to understand. And like, I almost never hear people talk about it very much. It's uncomfortable, right? And it's funny, somebody was asking this about uh, Discover Transcendence and I wrote it down. How does committing to transcendence contradict society's primary primary motivators right and then and that's it is that if i can't be happy by changing my environment in other words if i can't achieve a situation where i become a happy person then it's on me to be happy right now i don't want to think about that 
right? I, it's so much easier if I can just change my environment. And that's the problem with the law of attraction thing. It's so tragic for that reason is that, you know, it's like, I just want to bring this, this into my reality, this situation, this money, this job, this blah, 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 because then I'll be happy. It's like, nope, you won't. You'll still be you. You will still have the same choice between getting out of your way or trying to get control and trying to feel certain. It's always going to be the same. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You're always in the same situation in terms of you're either in reality or you're in your fiction or in conflict, which is, comes with your fiction. That's it. It doesn't matter what the situation is, right? What matters is whether or not somebody's going to rock your boat, whether or not somebody's actually going to question you. And, and, and so that's why it's so important as you grow up over time to give yourself opportunities to be questioned, to be challenged. So that way you can continue to grow. Don't hide in a box trying not to be offended by people because that's that's how you know you're putting yourself in a box, right? As soon as you're scared of somebody questioning your ideas and your beliefs, that's when you know that you're, you're getting farther and farther from the truth. You shouldn't be afraid if you're free, right? Like if, if you're free, there's nothing to tear you down because you're not using anything to hold yourself up, right? That, that's it. So embrace the questioning, em, embrace the discomfort. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's one of the, biggest things in, in realizing that, you know, you are not who you think you are. You are not who you have been conditioned into believing that you are is there's less to fear. There's, I mean, without that, there is nothing to fear and there is nothing to desire and understanding that you are, you know, the universal awareness experiencing itself, the universe experiencing itself, however you want to label it as this awareness here and now you are all as the present, like there isn't like, what could you possibly lose? What could you possibly gain? You're everything. Like there is nothing more to gain and there is, it's impossible to lose anything. So there is no, and that's all that fear and desire are at the end of the day. And, and when I realized that it, you know, changed my life completely. And to a point that, you know, there isn't really much to fear as long as I am existing in that, which I always am, but you know, you get caught up in the distortion and identity and that is where fear and desire comes in. It happens all the time. I'm not going to say that it's a 24 seven existence for me, but you know, living in an illusion of duality, there is going to be identity that comes in. And as you, you know, catch yourself, that's all you can do is you can, you know, remember that you are not this idea of yourself. You are not who you've been conditioned to believe that you are. You are, you know, beyond your perceptions and beliefs and ideas and thoughts. And you are simply, you know, the awareness of it all. And that, you know, there's, there's no fear left. There's nothing left to fear in that state. There's nothing to defend, right? That's the thing is that you're not afraid to fail. You're not afraid to try because it doesn't identify your value at all. And on that note, because we're going into season two and because a big part of season two is encouraging the spreading of this news. And as I, as I was saying to Andrew earlier before this uh, podcast started, so many people have been expressing to me that it's very difficult to focus on, on all of the positive in their life sometimes because of how uh, solid the narrative of the negative 
tends to be in terms of the media and the news and everything else, you know, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, so on and so forth, it can be very difficult to focus on how we are in fact changing as a consciousness when we see people stressing about the economy or people stressing about you know, corrupt governments or things like that. And so what we'd like to encourage this season is for anybody who's listening to this, anybody who's, who's an audience member, even if you're not an audience member and you happen to watch this, if you manage to question yourself where you would normally stop yourself from experiencing something or you would normally stop yourself from questioning something or, or normally you would get defensive and you decide not to, and you just want to take a quick moment and record that, that minor success, that minor victory. We want to hear about it. We want to hear about the steps that you're taking to free yourself from your illusion and your fiction. So we would love for you to make a video and hashtag it with dualistic unity. So that way we can continue to share that with the other members of our audience. Because right now on Discord, we have a growing community. And that community has been supporting one another for the last two weeks in their own journeys. People go on, they talk about what they're going through, the other members of the community share their own stories and their own insights, and we're really building a, a group of people who are growing individually and collectively as a result. And so we would like to continue to promote that. We wanna share your story with them. We wanna share their stories with you. So by all means, join us on Discord, join us on Patreon. But most importantly, if you're on social media, TikTok or Instagram, and you have an insight or you do something for somebody else because it's unifying and you want to share that with us with the hashtag dualistic unity. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see just that whole community begin to grow and, and all of this, like, I'm very excited as much as we talk about, you know, not having goals and thinking about the future. It is, you know, exciting along this path as we are here now, you know, doing it, being a part of it. It is exciting to kind of feel it happening as we go and, and feeling, you know, the momentum build that we've seen, you know, the last few weeks, especially, I think, you know, we, we got up to what, 214 subscribers on YouTube, like in the last couple of days from like 200 to 214 and like, I don't know, two or three days and discord is now getting close to 50. And that community is always discussing things. And it's super exciting to just have that there, you know, every day check in on the discussions being had and it all centers around the same sorts of topics all the time. And I think it'll be a very beneficial community to a lot of people as we, you know, as you mentioned, grow individually and collectively together. And it's, it's very, very cool to see. And I think what, uh, are we getting close to two hours here? <laughs> Almost. I'm just going to, I've got uh, one more announcement just because uh, what you were saying is exactly the point. We don't, we don't really have an end goal in, in this. It's just that our environment, our society, our culture as a whole is very much geared towards not facilitating this conversation about identity and, and all of its trappings. And so all we're doing is trying to create more opportunities for that conversation to happen, more venues for that conversation to happen and more, more places where people can get together and have that conversation because it's in that conversation that things are really going to, to spread and grow. And that's really it. We don't know where it's going to go from there. We don't know how those ripples are going to manifest in terms of changing the world. It's just about making the ripples happen because we're already doing it. So why not make an environment where other people can feel comfortable doing the same? 
Now, with that all in mind, as we go through season two and as we start coming together more and more, we're also going to be coming together to support unifying projects, uh, projects like community gardens, projects that are in favor of social justice problems or projects that are in favor of, of helping the environment or, or just creating unifying change. And we're going to be trying to support them um, through various different means. Well, we'll talk about that more as season two progresses. Um, and we're going to be coming up with more, more ways to basically pool our resources and our collective insights in order to just create change in the world around us. Even if you are at home and you have a bunch of friends and you, you are organizing something such as a community cleanup, we would love to hear about that. We might be able to help in some way. So this is the season really to reach out, contact us, and let us know what we can do to help you as you grow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fun thing to be a part of. And every, every I feel like every episode is, you know, rejuvenating and exciting. And it's so funny how we don't go into any of these episodes with any expectations or any plans or any guidelines or any outline whatsoever. We just start chatting and then, you know, we we try and slip in the intro and then just continue on the conversation. And all of a sudden, you know, two hours later, here we are. But yeah, I'm I couldn't be more excited for season two. And what's to come with roundtables, more live shows. It's, it's going to keep us busy for sure, but it's all very exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm fully committed. It's, um, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's, it's my passion in life. It's uh, when I'm not doing what I need to do, this is what I'm doing, right? And even when I'm doing what I need to do, this is what I'm doing. So it's just, it's just a natural thing to do. And I'm, I'm very excited to have everybody on board. Just wanted to mention as well that we talked for about a half hour before this podcast episode started. Um, most of that conversation will be posted to Patreon uh, probably within the next few days. So definitely don't miss that. Thank you everybody for listening to this very first episode of season two. As always, it's been a lot of fun and we're looking forward to seeing you next week. Looking forward to it. Bye everyone.